Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. This is your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on a, well, this is kind of weird, on a Thursday, May 9th, 2019. We are actually early this time, Rich. We're actually a little early this time recording this week's show. And this is number six in a row if you're counting Andrew Rappaport. Look at that. We made it a month and a half without taking any breaks. How we, how's that sound for you, Rich? <laughs> well, double P, I'm just thankful to oh, be here. I'm going to. I'm going to smack you. <laughs> you really tried to make that work last week, and I am so thrilled that it just went... <laughs> well, actually, I, there were a few comments and replies about Double P, but... It never I, went I, anywhere. <laughs> I know, but I really like calling you Double P, so... <laughs> See, I'm just going to no longer respond to that, you know, and if you're going to just start talking, I'm just going to keep talking, because if I don't hear my name, I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> I think it's a good nickname for you. It's <laughs> no, catchy. no, no, it is not. It is a terrible nickname. And I'm going to smack Jerry Patterson the next time I see him for sharing that stupid video. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even the video that caught my attention. It no, was the title that's what he titled it. And th thanks to him, now I got to deal with this. So it's bad enough that you give me grief if anything has to do with Captain America. Now I got to put up with this. <laughs> well,. I tried to be merciful. I only mess with you for a couple of days after the recording. <laughs> I have far more pictures and comments I, I've got on the ready to send out if people want to see and hear okay. it. Anybody that knows how to hack computers and delete stuff, please email me because I would love to make this stuff go away. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We've, we've not even been into the show two minutes. And we're already going way off base. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, people enjoy listening to you laugh so much. <laughs> I have to try my best to get a few of those giggles out at the beginning <laughs> of each show. Well, in case you are new, which is hard to tell because our stat tracking went completely belly up last week, thanks to our hosting network. Um, in case you are new, uh, this is actually a Christian program, and we actually do get serious at some point during the show. <laughs> I'm Chris Honholtz. My knuckle-headed partner on the other end of the mic <laughs> is Richard Story. We spend one hour every week, and trying to be really consistent lately, talking about biblical things. Basically, you have two friends sitting together talking about stuff that the Bible says, and you get to be part of that conversation by listening in and, and maybe yelling at us as, as, you're, as you're driving down the road or running on your treadmill listening to this. Um, and so that's what this program is really about. We try to honor God and we try to edify the saints by having a discussion. Uh, it's not scholars. It's not pastors. It's not uh, highfalutin you know, seminary lectures. It's just two Christian brothers talking about the things of God. That's what we try to do here. And so... When my partner is not being a knucklehead, <laughs> we try to get into uh, things that have direct impact in our lives, and it might even be something as simple as talking around the water cooler, or it can be how the Christian walk impacts us in really big issues in our lives. So we've been doing that, and now this, this marks now episode 101, after three years of recording, 101 episodes. Rich, we missed that last week. How did we forget that we were on our 100th episode? 
I have no idea. You, uh, somehow you you realized or remembered that when our three year anniversary came along, but I was more surprised by the fact that we missed our one hundredth episode, which was last week. But what the bad part of that is, in three years, a hundred episodes, we missed a lot of weeks <laughs> in three years. Well, let's basically if if there's fifty two weeks in a year. That should be 52 episodes, and in three years, that should be over 150 episodes, which means over the course of three years, we took a year off. <laughs> this is true. Wow. <laughs> so, hence the reason we are trying to be a bit more consistent. Well, to, to be in all fairness, when it comes to the holiday season, we generally do take December off. So, yeah, it's not uncommon. Even with that, that, even even with that, that's only roughly twelve weeks. Yeah, just we're sorry, folks. We're we're trying to improve. We're really, really trying to improve. And again, this, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say this just goes to prove we don't do this for a living. <laughs> we, we have families and we have lives, and just like you that are listening, life gets in the way of things sometimes, and we have to kind of veer away from what we truly truly enjoy to deal with other matters and you know chris and i have worked together at cross encounters radio and cross encounters ministries and then we took this endeavor with each other and it's gotten to the point now to where over the course of a show generally i know what he's about to say or he knows what i'm about to say even the weeks that we've done almost no prep and discussed the issue almost <laughs> at you know, two minutes them amount that. of time. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I mean, th- some weeks we do a lot of preparation and do a lot of research and do a lot of study, but I have found <laughs> we seem to get a lot better <laughs> and bigger response on the weeks and when we just have to kind of wing it. And <laughs> I, I think it's because those weeks are when we truly are depending on Christ to give us the words to speak and we're not relying on our own research or our own study or our own opinions, but we're relying on the spirit of Christ to guide and lead us through this radio podcast. Well, and, and mind you, that's not, that doesn't mean we've, we don't have a clue what we're talking about. We've both been Christians for very long periods of time and we've studied the word repeatedly. And so one of the, one of the nice things is about being able to draw from that knowledge and trusting in Christ is that you have that knowledge. <laughs> so, you know, Christ told his apostles, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're facing persecution. The Spirit will lead you. That didn't mean that they could chuck everything <laughs> that they <laughs> had spent three years learning. So Rich is, is right. We, we, you are very right. There are times when it's like, okay, we're drawing upon our knowledge of the Word of God based on what we know, and we're having that conversation but at the same time, uh, it, there's a there's that certain amount of freedom that we you know we're we're grateful God has given us this wisdom. We're trusting in Him to help us stay clear of the really big you know heretical or unorthodox ditches that we could fall in, and that that's God's grace working with us to to keep us from being completely uh, off the rails, which we could be. But yeah, I mean, it, there you can't go into something like this without some effort to uh, or some. You can't go into this without having had some understanding of Scripture. If you do it and you're just winging it completely because you've never studied the Scriptures thoroughly, 
then I think you're you're a train wreck waiting to happen. Even if you do have thousands of followers and uh... hang 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 on to that <laughs> hang on to that thought for just uh, one quick moment. Uh, 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 oh. I, I came across something this week that just has excited me to no end. To everyone else, it may not mean anything, but I just found tremendous tremendous joy in the fact that for the last year and a half my primary focus of study has been on the book of acts i literally have gone through and read or listened to the book of acts dozens upon dozens of times over the last almost year and a half this summer will be probably the halfway mark but needless to say i've gone through it dozens and dozens and dozens of times something jumped out at me this week that after all of that, I never had realized, and that is that Barnabas was acknowledged as one of the apostles. It's in Acts chapter 14, verse 14. The, the, the description is apostles with an S, and then it mentions Barnabas and Paul. That just jumped out at me, and I, I was just blown away. And that just proves that no matter how many times you go through a book of the Bible, there's always more for the Lord to reveal to you as you continue your path through them. Amen. I just got done reading Colossians again today, and I was struck by how much Paul writes to them, talking about, hey, you're going to have people that insist on these outward showings of godliness. And they, they look and they seem like they might be of some sort of value. He says, but that's, it's, it's not that outward appearance. It's that inward change. And it's that reliance upon the promises of God, which then of course, as we've talked about on the show, Rich, many times over produces good works. And he's, it's that contrast of here, you must do these things to be godly versus trusting in the promises of God trusting in his deliverance, trusting in, in the things to come, which then produce good works. And I looked at that, and we've talked about lately, it's, it's kind of been everywhere. I know it's driving some people crazy, so much discussion of social justice. And I looked at it, and I went, this is a four-chapter book of the Bible that absolutely refutes social justice. Because everything he says is, here's all these outward things that people want to lay on you to say that that's what makes you a Christian. Because that's not what makes you a Christian. And I was like, this is a four-chapter refutation of the whole thing. And so it, you're right. The more we study it, the more we become so familiar with it, and it begins to become the very fiber of how we think, speak, and act. And getting back to where you were at earlier, one thing I've noticed, and I've pointed this out before, we got to remember we are the absolute first generation of Christians to have social media. Yeah. We're like that early century church. And we need to remember that because 40, 50 years from now, when people look back at the origins of Twitter Christianity, what are they going to remember, look at and see? Sadly, it's coming to the point now to where pe some people equate true Christian belief when it comes to sanctification, meaning that you've got tons and tons of followers yep. and people are just applauding you and, and clapping for everything that you say in post. And it's, it's really sad. I mean, you know, folks, by the way, if you, uh, if you remember last week, 
we talked about the need for a biblical understanding of the gospel. And we started that program by talking about, which was a really tragic situation, and that was the, the passing of Rachel Held Evans. We're going to touch on another social media ish, issue, just as Rich was indicating here. And folks, understand, we're not picking on this person because this person is female. We're not picking on them at all. But it's a good understanding of why that whole point of biblical understanding is so very important. Why we study the scriptures. And we're going to continue our discussion of that biblical understanding of the gospel. But Rich, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, today... Owen Strand, who is, uh, he's part of the, you know, the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And he, there's this huge dust up again. And unfortunately, the SBC seems to be involved again. And it has to do with, thank you, J.D. Greer, because you're, you know, he's not leading the SBC uh, parachurch thing very well, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people's opinions. And there's this whole idea that Beth Moore, hey, she's this great, greatest thing since sliced bread for the SBC. And um, everybody wanted, you know, before Greer was elected or voted in, they want, there were people promoting Beth Moore to be president of the SBC, which heaven help the SBC if that ever happens. Um, yet Owen Strand posts something today because Beth Moore trying to be coy, I guess, talked about how she was going to be doing Mother's Day at a church. So in other words, preaching at a church service where there's a mixture of men and women, something she's not permitted to do by scripture. And she's going to be doing Mother's Day and, hey, let's keep this on the QT as she posts it publicly on, on Twitter. So Owen Strand responds by putting out an article, which I think was very good, and, and we'll share the link to that. And on Twitter, he says, complementarians disagree cheerfully about much. Now, complementarianism, if you don't understand what that is, it's the belief that men and women have equal value in the eyes of God, but we have different roles. So, for example, preaching, men have the role of preaching in the church. Men have the role of leading their families. These are roles given to us by God, not because we're men, not because there's something better about men, but because God has a created order. And women have roles within the family and within the church that are designed for them by God. And so he says, one thing we have massive agreement on, women do not preach on Sunday to the church. Doing so is, a fun is functional egalitarianism. In other words, egalitarianism says men and women aren't just equal in worth. They are equal in all things and there are no differentiations in roles. And therefore, women can preach from a pulpit. And so what he's saying here is, you may claim to be a complementarian, but if you say a woman can preach the, uh, a message because it's Mother's Day in the church to the entire congregation, men and women, you're functionally acting like an egalitarian. And he says, we will not capitulate here, and he shares the article. Well, along comes Beth Moore. I, I, I can't imagine a more disrespectful thing for someone to say the way she put this, despite what she claims. She says, Owen, I'm going to say this with as, with as much respect, yeah, right, and as much self-restraint as I can possibly muster. I can almost see fists shaking clenched at her side as she says that. I would be terrified, that's her quote, I would be terrified to be a woman you'd approve of. 
and I would have wasted 40 years of my life encouraging women to come to know and love Jesus through the study of the scripture. Rich, that's full woke. That's full, uh, that's full intersectionality, full uh, egalitarianism woke. That's terrifying well, to hear someone say. Well, another disturbing portion of this is taking something that is completely a worldly holiday created yeah. by an industry wanting nothing more than another excuse for you to spend money to use that as an excuse to <coughs> give Beth Moore a platform to preach on. Yeah. And, and I have no substantial proof. So I'm just, I'm just telling it like I see it, my own personal opinion. I just have to believe that, well, first, if I'm not mistaken, the church she's quote-unquote preaching at is a family member's church. I think it's her son-in-law that's actually the yeah. pastor. So, I mean, I believe that was, was that's what uh, our dear sister Michelle Leslie posted, I think, last week. She was sharing that information. And, you know, well, that there's a slight indication right there, but I see it more and more and more of, of people that are in the Beth Moore camp basically trying to strong arm other churches into embracing, okay, there's nothing wrong with a woman behind the pulpit preaching the word of God. Yeah. But as I've pointed out once and with all due respect, every denomination that has ever gone down this path are now embroiled in the debate over whether a homosexual can be a pastor or whether a Christian can be a practicing homosexual. You see it within the United Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. The Presbyterian Church had a split over it. You know, all of these, quote-unquote, progressive church denominations started out down that path by allowing a woman to preach and teach and lead a church in the Word of God. Exactly. That in itself ought to say something. And, and that's the problem, is it's it's a rejection of the Word of God. God's Word says, this is how you do things. And if we honor God, if we love God more than ourselves, then we're going to do what God says, not what we want. And the problem is, is when you say, well, no, I feel led, I feel gifted. Rich, I'm not a pastor. And it'd probably be a good thing that I not be a pastor, <laughs> given so what my temperament can be some days. But if I were to say, I feel led, I should be up there preaching. Well, do I qualify per scripture? Because if I don't qualify, it doesn't matter what I feel. Well, to be, to be able to do that, to be blessed with the gift to preach and teach, not only do you, as you put it, would feel led to, but you would have to be tested by the brothers and they would determine whether they agree with you or not after prayer and much examination. As far as I know, Beth Moore has never ever undergone such examination by either, by any of the camps when it comes to the SBC. Well, and that's simply the problem. There's no application of what scripture commands. And unfortunately, Beth Moore is one of those people that just seems she be, seems to be coated in Teflon because you, you can aim the scriptures right at her and they bounce right off. And it's, it's, and if you try to even 
address anything she says from a biblical perspective, you get lambasted. Um, I will say this. I mentioned our dear sister, Michelle Leslie, who... Michelle, you got to get on our show someday. We really got to talk to you. You know these, this particular discussion probably far better than Rich and I do. So, you know, email us because we, we want to talk. Anyway, <laughs> Michelle Leslie responded directly to Beth Moore's tweet. And this is what I think is so awesome. And it reminds us God always has his remnant. God always has uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ who love his word more than the attention of others. And her response going directly to Beth Moore and talking to Owen Strand is, she says, Owen, it's a joy to aspire to be the type of woman you, quote, approve of, end quote, by aspiring to be a woman God approves of, which is all that matters. It's not terrifying at all. It's Christ-centered joy and contentment that comes from submitting to God's word than rebelling against it. Thank you, Michelle, by the way. Thank you. That was a, just a wonderful, wonderful response. But even poor Michelle gets lambasted by people who accuse her of uh, being jealous of Beth and stuff like this. So it's, it, like I said, Beth Moore, it's like she's coated in Teflon, uh, uh, you know, some sort of Teflon. It just it slides right off her. But what's amazing to all, in all of this is it points back to the fact that if you don't have a healthy understanding of the Word of God, you're going to do what you want to do. And Beth Moore is a perfectly good example of that. And the sad part about it is if you read Owen's article, if Beth Moore was simply running a, 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 a discipleship ministry that offered resources to churches to help disciple women, to be godly women in the church, I don't. nobody would have a complaint. Yet, that's what she makes it sound like Owen is attacking. Because she says, I would have wasted 40 years of my life encouraging women to come and know and love Jesus through the study of the scripture. Owen said nothing about that. Owen talked about the fact that, you know, there is in, in a complementarian roles, it's based on God's created order and why God set it up that way and why women aren't to lead the congregation in, worship, in, in the worship and the study of the word of God. And that women Brother, have like right, correct roles. I'd like to add, um, based on everything I've read and seen, Beth Moore would not be qualified, according to the Word of God, to even be teaching women because she mangles and twists scriptures so horrifically that you would think that she was a new convert that just <laughs> got her first Bible and just first started reading it. Oh, no, absolutely. And I, I, I say what, what I said for the to kind of clarify that Beth's response is even completely unwarranted but yes we'll we'll share there's a uh, gabe pastor gabe hughes with the when we understand the text has a good 90 second video about the problems with beth moore we'll share that link on the show notes too um we're running a little bit longer than i wanted to but that the reason we're sharing that is not to beat up on beth moore well, we, we pray for beth moore please beth repent of this yeah, it's not like she'll ever hear us, but Beth, we don't want you to teach falsely. We don't want you to mislead women. We want you to honor God. Quit doing this. And, and people who think that she's not that big, you know, uh, it's really not that big a problem, you don't understand. Believe me, the problems with Beth are fully understandable. It, this has nothing to do with jealousy. This has nothing to do with demeaning women. This has to do with honoring the word of God. And so that, that we wanted to use that as a, yet, yet another example that we could spend days upon days doing examples of people rejecting the word of God and, and just following their own direction. But we don't have enough time for that. So 
so this was the this was the most recent one. It's the biggest dust up. It just happened today, so I thought it would be a good example. Well, it it is still a good example leading into the portion of Romans that we're in that shows that as Adam sinned and we're all born into sin, without the working the true working of the Holy Spirit, we will stay within that sin. And even if we're saved, unless we continue, as Paul said, work out our salvation and fight the good fight and work our way through sanctification, we will be stuck forever as a newborn baby. Amen. Amen. All right. So, like we said earlier, this is something of a continuation from last week. We taught, we were working our way through Romans 5, and the first 11 verses, what we talked about was that justification is by faith. We're, we're, we're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. And that the faith we receive is God's grace. It, we get that from God, and that changes us. That makes us a new creation. It brings about joy that can't be deterred uh, through circumstances. Christ's sacrifice is that he, is, he died for the ungodly. We are sinners from birth. We are born with a sin nature. <clears throat> we were weak. We're undeserving. We have no capability in ourselves to, to merit God's grace in any way. And yet Christ died for the ungodly. And he did this while we were yet sinners. We weren't manifesting anything of our own to for God, Christ to go, you know, I like this guy. I'll save him. It, it, he did it when we were in the worst possible state. We're deserving of God's wrath we are the rebels against the king. We deserve his just punishment. Yet we're spared because Christ took that wrath for us as Christians. If you're not in Christ, this is not for you. You have to be in Christ. You have to turn from your sins. You have to trust in his completed work and he will redeem you. And because of that, we are reconciled to God. That What an amazing gift that we actually have reconciliation with God. God is no longer at war with us. His wrath no longer abides on us. And we are adopted as children with all the rights and privileges of the king, of a child of the king. That's where we kind of left off last time about, you know, this is where our joy comes from, knowing that we have been redeemed and reconciled in Christ. So, Rich, does that pretty well encapsulate where we we left off last time? I would agree, brother. That that sounds like a really good recap of, of last week's show. Um, I'm going <coughs> to let you just kind of take the lead, and I'll jump in from time to time. But why don't you go ahead and, and read the next verse where we left off from last week? So get get out your uh, your Bibles, folks. We're we're in Romans chapter five, and uh, hey, Virgil Walker, this is for you. I'm reading from the Elect Standard Version. Sorry, Daryl. <laughs> so I love the guys at Just Thinking, and I love uh, you know uh, razzing them a little bit. They are so fantastic. If, if there's uh, if there's any show that you're listening to. Uh, and you haven't listened to Just Thinking yet, just, just take a pause, go grab their stuff, and listen. It's a fantastic program. So anyway, uh, so ESV, chapter 5 of Romans, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world, 
before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Rich, that's such an interesting point. There's, uh, we have this contrast between Adam and the second Adam, Christ. There's this re- reconciliation because we have a sin nature. Adam brings sin into the world. <clears throat> we get we get to, let's go back to Genesis, and they're in the garden. And you have, and by the way, if, if you really want a, a great book that actually is talking about this, I'm reading the book now, it's, um, oh my word, my brain just went dead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, from beginning to end, uh, from beginning to the end, Finding Christ, oh my goodness, my brain just went dead. Uh, but it's uh, the beginning to the end, and it has to do with uh, finding Christ throughout all of Scripture. And uh, that's another one I'll put in the show notes. It talks about the uh, the creation and the fall. Um, and it talks about, you know, here in, you know, God had made Adam and Eve. He had made them perfect. Uh, and he gave them one command, not to eat um, of the fr- fruit of the uh, tree of knowledge, good and evil. And he tells them, don't eat of this. And the day you do, you will die. And so Eve is deceived by um, the serpent and she eats. And But she then in turn gives to her husband, Adam, and he eats willfully. He was with her. And he eats willfully. And what is he doing? He's, he's, they've been told by the serpent, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, you get to decide for yourself what's good and evil. Eve was deceived, but Adam willfully sinned. And here's the thing, and this the, the book, um, Christ from Beginning to the End, how the full story of Scripture reveals the full glory of Christ. And I'm, I'm working my way through this book. Fantastic book, folks. You've got to read it. But he willfully sins, and he introduces the first sin in the into the world by man. And guess what? He's our federal head. He represents all of us, and he made an active choice to sin, and which and then impacts us. Now I know there are people out there that have a real problem with this, Rich. This whole idea of they don't like the idea of original sin and how Adam's act couldn't taint us, but it did. Adam willfully sinned and he is our representative and he, I, um, I wish I could remember who used this example because I would love to give attribution to them but the example well, go ahead um, no you go ahead give your example and then yeah. I'll read what I have pulled okay. up. so Adam acted in our in our place he's our federal representative and because of him we all sinned well I don't like that okay here let me give you an example if the president of the United States and I know that's a a loaded statement right now, given that uh, Donald Trump is president, but bear with me. If the president of the United States goes to another country and does something that starts a war, it's going to impact all of the United States. Okay. It doesn't matter to the, the other country where he started this war. If everybody in America agreed with him or not. He's our representative. He acted in our place because he's our elected representative. Okay? So his actions directly affect every citizen in the United States. Adam 
is our federal representative. God created him to be our representative. And when he acted in the garden, willfully sinned, he impacted all of creation, and all of us are now born with the taint of sin. Rich? Well, I've got a portion here from J. Vernon McGee, and what's interesting, I did not know you were going to say what you just said prior to the, <laughs> that moment, but what I'm going to read actually reiterates what you just said. Um, J. Vernon McGee said in regards to Romans 5.12, now when he says all have sinned, he's not talking about our acts of sin. Rather, he's referring to the sin that Adam committed when he disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, which he says is your sin and my sin. Immediately, someone will resent that, just like you said. <laughs> he will say, why should I be charged with Adam's sin? I don't want Excuse me. I don't want Adam being the one to choose for me. I want to make the choice. Well, my friend, whether you like it or not, it just so happens that the choice of your ancestors turns out to be your choice as well. I had a grandfather who lived in Northern Ireland. He was a Scotsman, and believe me, he knew what persecution was. He left Northern Ireland and came to Georgia. He didn't like Georgia either. Grandfather was a hard fellow to please. <laughs> so he went on so he went on over to Mississippi to live and finally ended up in Texas, for that's where he's buried. May I say to you, years ago when he decided to come to the United States, I came to the United States. That's when I came. His decision was my decision, whether I like it or not, and I like it. He came to this country. I'm glad he didn't stay in Northern Ireland because if he had if he had, I'd be over there today. I'm glad that he came to this country. His decision was my decision. Adam's decision is our decision, whether we like it or not. That was God's way in order that he might justify you and me by faith, if you please. That is the basis of sanctification, because now he is enabled to take us out of the old Adam and put us in the new Adam, that new Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are put in him by faith, and that is the method by which God is able to sanctify us today. Amen. Amen. That's the thing. No matter what, whether we like that concept or not, as J. Vergant McGee said, that is God's decision. He put Adam in the garden. God, Adam represented us. And guess what? His willful act of sin taints us. And there's a reason we can know that, because... All mankind sins. We know that the wages of sin is death. Go to chapter six, just you know, one chapter over, verse uh, six, or excuse me, chapter six, verse twenty-three. The wages of sin is death. What does Paul write? Even before the law was given, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Sin causes death. So even though we don't like the idea, maybe sometimes that Adam represented us in the garden. We know his decision impacts all of us because all men die even before the, uh, the law was given. The law, we weren't held accountable for the things of the law before the law was given, but yet sin caused death. So that we were still having, a, there was still this issue of death caused because mankind from the womb is born with a sin nature, so all mankind dies. Well, I want to go ahead. This might be a good might be a good point that in death there's actually three 
distinct manifestations of death as it applies to Adam. There was a spiritual death Mm -hmm. or the actual separation from God, a physical death, and an eternal death, which includes not only eternal separation from God, but eternal torment in the lake of fire. Because all sinned, because all humanity existed in the loins of Adam and have through procreation inherited his fallenness and depravity, it can be said that all sinned in him. Therefore, humans are not sinners because they sin, but rather they sin because they are sinners. I'm reading that from a quote from John MacArthur. Amen. That's spot on, spot on, which with Johnny Mac typically is. So, So the first Adam introduces sin and all mankind is impacted. Okay, so why do we sin? Because we have a sin nature. We sin because we are sinners, as John MacArthur so succinctly put it. So, and that's because we've inherited that from our uh, our our federal head, Adam. So let's pick up in verse 15. Paul writes, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free uh, gift by that uh, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So you have the free gift versus, you you have the free gift coming through Christ and you have sin coming through Adam. So Adam's sin brings us all under the curse. Excuse me, my 2.0 reading glasses that I can't read my Bible with are <laughs> finding a hard place, finding a place to put them down here. Um, that, uh, the first Adam brings death and condemnation. Yet Christ brings us something far more glorious. Adam's act ushers, uh, uh, ushers in death. But Christ's sacrificial death ushers in life. God is glorified when when sinners die. Rich, if you or I are not forgiven and we stand before God on judgment day and he condemns us to the lake of fire for all eternity, that's God being glorified because his justice is revealed. He is a good God who will not let the guilty go free. Just like a good judge will not let a, 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 a guilty criminal go free, and that's getting harder to find because we keep hearing about judges who let really bad people off with a slap on the wrist lately. Um, but if a, a judge is good, if he holds a criminal accountable, God is the perfect judge and he will let he will hold all sinners accountable. So his justice is revealed and he's glorified. But God is infinitely more glorified when those who deserve death are redeemed into eternal life. So in other words, Rich... You and I deserve his wrath. Yet because of Christ's sacrificial death, because he has done this work of grace in us through faith, and he has brought us to reconciliation through Christ's death and resurrection, 
His grace is magnified. His mercy is magnified. So in condemning the sinner, his justice is revealed. In redeeming a sinner, his grace and his mercy are magnified and his glory is even more magnified. So we get to see God's love on display when he takes somebody completely undeserving and it brings them into his family through Christ's act. So death reigns for all of us who are in Adam, and that's entirely deserved, yet life is given for those who are in Christ, and that's completely undeserved. We don't deserve a, a lick of mercy. Yet well, I'd like to add, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt no, you, no, brother. Um, I'd like to add this. Christ's one act of redemption was immeasurably greater than Adam's one act of condemnation. Yep. And only Christ being God himself in the resurrection could do that. Absolutely. You know, there's no way you or I, Rich, in our fallen state could ever show any th deserve any kind of merit from God. The, the thing, the, one of the big problems with, we're going to use a technical here term here, monergism versus synergism. Monergism, doctrines of grace, Calvinism, whatever you want to call it, it's a work of God, all of God, has nothing to do with me. Synergism says, I contribute in some capacity, even if it's simple, as simply as saying, I choose Christ. The problem with it is, and we go back to Romans chapter 3, there's none good, no, not one, there are none who seek after God. Why? Back to Romans chapter 5. Death reigns in us because we are sinners because of Adam. We can't merit anything from God because we are so utterly depraved because we've inherited that sin nature. There's nothing about me that I can look at Jesus of my own accord and say, I choose to receive your grace. It, it can't be done. It's all of God. And that's the problem with the argument between monergism and synergism. Synergism wants to say that there's something about me that God will accept, even if it's just me saying, I choose to follow Christ. But monergism, I believe, rightly acknowledges there's nothing about me that God can look at and go, okay, I can, I can work with that. And that's what I think makes his grace even more glorious because he takes someone who can't even in his uh, even utter the words, I want to follow Christ because I can't. I may say the words, but it's a Christ of my own creation. It's it's this Christ that lets me, you know, kind of winks at my sin, or this Christ that, uh, you know, takes me as I am, or whatever that that we want to call it. Now, Rich, you and I under, understand that when we're first saved, we don't have any concept of that. We we just go. I, I, I'm dead. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm struck down. I'm going to hell. Christ, forgive me. Save me. And so that in, in that moment, that's what we see. We think it's, it's us finally coming to that understanding. But Scripture reveals, I'm so depraved that to even get to that point, faith was God's gift to me. And well, I think that, that's what makes it more so much glorious. Well, that's one of the fundamental meanings of grace is that it's given to sinners that are undeserving in any way where the synergism part comes in. I think a lot of times people 
confuse works to salvation with actual sanctification. Because once we're justified, we're not sanctified at that moment. From that point on, as we live in Christ, we become more and more sanctified yep. until we stand with him in glory. And to present a small amount of evidence for everything that you just said, do a word search on the New Testament for the word chosen. You'll find roughly 30 references about chosen. Most of them are in context of God choosing the apostles. God chose the 12. God chose those that heard Peter speak on the day of Pentecost. That talks about Lydia and how God opened her heart to listen and understand the things that Paul was teaching. Not one time will you read anywhere where it talks about someone contributing anything to their own salvation. And the greatest, greatest example is Paul on the road to Damascus. Yep. When Christ appeared and struck him down, Paul had absolutely no choice. The only thing he could do is obey what God himself was commanding Paul to do. Amen. Amen. And that, you know, that's the funny thing about this, Rich. So many people would look at you know, that what you're describing and go, oh, that makes God some sort of moral monster because I, I don't have a choice. But think of, if you think about it in terms of how Scripture reveals what we are, Rich, that we are utterly depraved, utter, utterly undeserving, completely corrupted in that we maybe we're not the, the worst Ted Bundys in the world out there, but that's, that's God's grace restraining us. But we are utterly depraved in that there's nothing of our own accord that can merit uh, God's favor. That everything I do is tainted by my own selfishness, my by my own sin. I can make choices within the limits of my nature, which is sinful, but I can't make I can't choose to work outside my nature and do what is good according to God without tainting it in some capacity, if right. that's who I am, then how amazing is it that a God who looks at that and goes, I'm going to redeem that? That's well, amazing. Well, well, Paul himself says that if we fail in any one point of God's moral mm -hmm. law, the Ten Commandments, in thought, word, or deed, and Jesus made it clear that we're judged not only on our actions, but our thoughts, what our heart is like, whether... You know, hatred for our brother is considered murder. If we lust after another, that is considered adultery. So if we violate God's Ten Commandments and thought, word, or deed in any way, we stand in judgment of all. And in our sinful, natural nature, we can't help but violate God's moral commandments because we are inherently sinful and evil because of Adam, and yep. it is only through Christ and the resurrection of Christ and his gift of salvation, his gift of grace that releases us from the bondage, from the slavery of sin and releases us to be children of God. God no longer looks upon us as heathens, you know, sin-filled, sin wrath-filled from his part looking down on us. But he sees us, he sees Christ, and then Christ is in us. It's not that we're that great. It's that Christ is such a great Savior 
that when God looks down, he sees Christ. He doesn't see us in our sinful nature because the Bible makes it clear that God cannot look upon evil. God cannot look, you know, it. it's like, uh, I forget how the Bible describes it. Well, there's several ways that it describes it, but one analogy is, you know, to God, we're a, a dead carcass on the side of the road that's rotting and smelly and worm-ridden and maggot-ridden. That's how God sees us. But once we're saved, he doesn't see that. He sees Christ. Amen. Period. Amen. That's an amazing God. That's a God worth worshiping. That is a God who deserves everything from us. That we turn over our whole lives and fully submit, even when, going back to what we talked about earlier with the tweets, even when I think my way's better. You know, submitting wholly to God because I recognize I don't deserve anything from him but wrath, but I've received by his grace and his mercy salvation, that's an amazing God. And that goes back to our original state prior to salvation is that we're just like Adam and Eve. We're not satisfied with what God has already given us. We're not satisfied with the common grace that's upon all of earth. We want more. Our pride gets in the way thinking that we deserve more, that we ought to have this or that, that or that I ought to be allowed to preach yep. before a church just because I think I can and because I have a good way with words. Exactly. It, that, that's a refusal to acknowledge God's authority. And it, demeans what he's done in our lives. That's how I look at that. All right, so let's finish up the remaining portion of the chapter here. Start in uh, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Rich, if Christ had... You know, if his sacrifice had simply defeated sin and, and conquered death, that would be amazing. We we and the reason be because we know sin, the 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 result of sin is death. If, if so, if even if he just defeated that, that would be amazing. But that's not what happens. We don't just have our sins wiped away. We, we're not just we don't just get this kind of free pass from death. We are given his righteousness. God, you know, we see sin, death reigns because of sin. And then God in Moses, through Moses, gives the law and it makes the situation worse. Why? Because the law no longer allows us to be deluded. It exposes our rebellion to the very core. It tells us the law, which is good, it comes from God. It's, it's a reflection of his nature. It says, if you can obey this, you live. 
the first thing we do in our hearts is say, uh, you know, it, it tells us obey and live, and yet we're not going to be able to do it because of our sinful nature. But yet our hearts go, oh, I can do that. Just watch. I, I, I can obey that. So in our pride, in our sinfulness, we actually think we can do it. So the more knowledge we have of our sin, which is revealed by the fact we knowingly violate the law, the worse our sin is and the worse its consequences is. You know, we well, Paul, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're no. On roll. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. I was just going to say, Paul himself says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. God's more, God's more law, the Ten Commandments, not only <laughs> defines sin, it exposes the fact that w- how sinful we really are, that if we truly look at God's moral law and examine ourselves in the mirror of that, it just exposes how sinful we truly are. Mm-hmm. And once salvation comes upon us, we're not... We're, we will never be sin free, but we will have the will to sin less. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Does that, make, does that make sense? No, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. You know, the, the law is our schoolmaster. It leads us to Christ. Why? Because it exposes us. It it shows for what we are. And it's funny when you read Christ's interactions with the the religious leaders of Israel. There's a point where they go, "Oh, are you saying we're blind too?" And he says, "Well, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any guilt. In other words, if you didn't see." You wouldn't have a guilt in this area, but because you say you can see, your guilt is worse. When we have the law and and it exposes us, and yet we try to think that we can somehow merit God's favor by keeping it, it makes the situation that much worse. The law strips us bare. It shows we can't do it, but our our sinful inclination is to say, I can show God I'm a good person. Anybody that's ever done street witnessing can tell you man, a man or a woman will completely justify their uh, justify themselves and, and say, I'm a good person. And they'll have a, a moral standard that's very fluid because you can say, well, you know, have you ever committed murder? Oh, no, I've never done that. Well, have you ever hated someone? Uh, well, yeah. Have you ever told a lie? Well, no. Well, wait a minute. You just told me a minute ago you weren't a murderer, but you said so in your heart that you've hated someone. Uh, well, yeah. So have you ever told a lie? And they'll, and th- that morality becomes to become very fluid and very Gumby-like. I'm dating myself because I used Gumby. <laughs> but it, it becomes very rubbery because we try to make that, that, that law that God has built into our heart something that we can mold the fit our personal standard, but the more we see God's law, the more we actually begin to rebel against it. And I, here's a good question. Here's a good way to test that. What's the first reaction you have when you see wet paint? Don't touch. <laughs> you well, want to touch? People touch it. <laughs> exactly. What do we do when we say don't look down? We look down. What do we say? When we don't walk. Say don't walk on the grass. You walk on the grass. When we say don't concentrate on your blinking, what do you do? You, you blink because it's our reaction is to go against what we've been told to do. And it's kind of like, oh, well, you can't tell me what to do. Why? Because we're sinners at heart, and the law utterly reveals that, just rips us to shreds and shows us we cannot do it. We cannot earn. We cannot have our own righteousness. Well, basically, brother, it proves 
another passage of scripture that says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's what the Ten Commandments, God's moral law does. <laughs> exactly. People are prideful. They try to make an excuse for what they're doing. They try to make an excuse for the sins they committed. They try to say, but I've done this, this, and this, trying to have a show of a means that, well, even though I did this, I've worked hard at doing this, so maybe God will, you know, maybe the, the my good will outweigh my bad, but it doesn't work like that because grace is a gift of God, lest any man may boast, according to what Paul said. And I think you mentioned that in last week's episode. Absolutely. But, but pride is always present in sin. It's only after God rips apart a sinner's heart and puts his implanted word in there that a man can truly fall to his knees and be humble and obey God's words and obey God's command and live under God's law of love instead of wrath. Exactly. See, the law reveals, as we just said, Rich, that we're sinners. Death showed that we were sinners because death reigned. But when the law came in, we became exceedingly even more lawless. We didn't sin in the way that Adam did, yet we were sinners by nature, and death reigned. God brings in the law, and what was our first reaction is to disobey the law. And we become even more lawless, which, because it's told us, don't do this, and our pride says, oh, watch me, and <laughs> we do it anyway, and now sin abounds, because the law reveals just how evil we are. I want to ask you a question. Yes. Is there a sin that cannot be traced back to a person's pride? No. Pride is the first sin we actually see. I mean, think about it. What did Satan tempt them with? You will be like God, knowing good from evil. It, what caused? Go ahead. What caused Satan? What caused? What caused Lucifer? What caused Lucifer? To be cast out of heaven. It was a sin sin of pride, wanting to ascend like the most high. It just it's all comes back to me. That's what sin is. It's me. It's all about me. It's not about God. It's about me. It's about serving my needs, my desires. So, Rich, you're absolutely right. At the root of all sin is pride. And that's why when you show someone the law, they run the opposite direction and do more, more evil. And that's why sin abounds. But the amazing thing about when sin abounds because of the law, grace abounds more. Why? Because it redeems those who have been revealed to be arrogant, prideful, and willful in their sin. So it would be amazing to be redeemed and, and have our sinful nature wiped away. But it's even, um, uh, the grace of God is magnified even more because the law exposed how wicked we are. The law caused us to, in the sense, it's not the law that made us sin, but the law revealed our sin. And as a result, the sin within us, as Paul writes, took advantage of that opportunity and ran with it. And that's the reason that the world hates the Ten Commandments so much. Mm -hmm. It's they a constant reminder. Be, yeah, they don't want to be faced with their sin. They don't want to be faced with 
what God defines as sin. They don't want to be confronted with their own sinful nature because they enjoy their sin. They want to live in their sin. They take pride in their sin. Exactly. And the law destroys your ability to believe you're actually a good person. And yet, because of Christ, grace abounds all the more because the willful, prideful, Pride-filled, now you got me doing it now, Rich. Pride-filled, <laughs> arrogant sinner is redeemed. Why? Because Christ, who obeyed the law in all aspects of it, died not just for people who had a sinful nature, but were sinners and it was a completely exposed by the law, and they knew it was exposed by the law. And he died for those who were revealed to be even worse than they thought because they were rejecting God's goodness and his law. So the law magnifies our sin, but it also reveals just how gracious the forgiveness of God is. So the law came in to expose how wicked and evil we are in Adam. Christ comes obeys what we could never do in every aspect, not even a hint of sin, tempted in all ways human, yet without sin, dies on the cross to take the punishment we rightly deserve, even though he's completely innocent, dies, goes to the grave, resurrects on the third day, defeats sin and death, and all those people who have their sin nature exposed, who repent because they see the goodness of Christ, who died on their behalf, repent and turn to him because he took what they deserved and then was dead, buried, and rose again, and they trust in that, grace abounds because the sinner is redeemed, even though he has nothing to contribute or nothing to offer to God. <coughs> That's the amazing story of the gospel. We don't deserve it. We can never deserve it. We are wicked to the core. And that's why we can never earn our way to heaven. Amen. Nor can we earn well, our means to maintain it. Regardless of what many, 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 many people try to preach and <coughs> share, there's absolutely no way whatsoever that we can earn our way to heaven. If we could earn our way to heaven, then Christ died and rose from the dead for nothing. Amen. Amen. So, one last thing to share, Rich, because we are talking about obeying the law of God. Let's let's roll over to the first few verses in chapter 6. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This is... This is a rhetorical question. He's not asking them to really think about it because his next set phrase is, by no means. You know, sin, you know, sin is, uh, abounds because of the law. Grace abounds because the law reveals how wicked we are and how, much we, how gracious and merciful Christ is. So should we then continue to sin so grace can abound even more? Absolutely not! By no means. How can we who died to st sin still live in it? How did we die to sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Rich, when we turn from our sins and put our faith in Christ and his completed work and we are baptized, we are, we, our old man dies. We are, you know, uh, he goes into the grave and we are raised like Christ, a new creation. So the whole idea that you know of this this idea of a a backslidden Christian who can live like the devil but proclaim to be a follower of Christ is so nonsensical because it absolutely flies in the face of what Paul just talked about for an entire chapter. We are wicked, evil, sinful people from birth, deserving of nothing but God's wrath, yet we are reconciled to him and made a new creation, why then, if we are genuinely in Christ, who took the penalty we deserve, would we even think it makes sense to walk continuously in sin? By no well, I means. Have, I have to say, brother, five, uh, Romans 5 and 6 are very interesting as they are two sides of the same coin. <laughs> in chapter 5, we get justification. In chapter 6, Paul goes into discussing sanctification, and you you really and truly cannot have one without the other. And I'm going to kind of put it put this out there to our listeners: if you would like to hear us continue going through chapter six and get into the discussion about sanctification, let us know, and we'll we would be pleased to continue this train of thought and continue going through this particular subject going through the, the, the these two books of Romans, or if you have another idea for a completely different <laughs> topic, just, just let us know. But I have to confess, for me personally, I have deeply enjoyed discussing this with you for these last two episodes. This is the the bedrock of our faith, Rich. I mean, without the gospel, there's, there's nothing. You know, we, we've just used two examples over the last two weeks, and I'm sure that there are somebody out there going to call us misogynist because we happen to use the both examples happen to be women. Look, it's not what it was about, but if that's what you want to label us, I can't stop you, I guess. But the point of it is we were pointing to the fact that you have two people in these particular, and they were the, they were the topics of the day. That's why they got chosen. Two people who reject what the word of God has to say. Well, that's kind of the purpose of this show is to examine cultural things through the lens of Scripture. And sadly, both of these women are more worldly than they are Christian, in my opinion. And I absolutely agree with you. And if the if the 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 examples of the day had been men or or women or both or whatever, if they were the topics being discussed were were persons of a different sex. We would discuss that, but these were the these were the issues happening when these topics came up. So we wanted to use them to highlight it is our submission to the Word of God, and without a biblical understanding of the gospel, we don't have a Christian faith. If we don't submit ourselves to the Word of God, we don't have a Christian faith. Well, brother, I want to emphasize one thing and one thing extremely clearly, and I don't know how, I don't know a way to make this more emphatic. My problem with Beth Moore is not that she's a woman. My problem with Beth Moore is that she's a horrible teacher of God's Word, period. Amen. I, I know that people don't want to hear that, but 
She is. She she's teaching falsely. She's she's exegeting her own dreams and and she uses all kinds of examples that have nothing to do with scripture. And then when confronted with this, she pulls like what she did with Owen Strand today, and she pulls the sexist card. It, that's that's worldly thinking. That has nothing to do with scripture. I'm going to ask you this, and it, it's very it's very uh, varying off the true topic just a little bit but do you see that in today's world far too many men and women sadly are too fast to want to jump on the boat and call themselves a preacher or a teacher and want to be going to these conferences and speaking here and teaching there without first realizing what james says about not many of us should want should become teachers my friend because we stand in greater judgment Absolutely. Brother, one of the things that I struggle with when we do shows like this and do writing and, and posting things on the internet is recognizing that even in this tiny slice of the internet where we have a minor platform, doing this carries a great weight and responsibility. Because, Rich, if you and I get it wrong and we mislead people, God's going to hold us accountable for that. Now, I believe that a person who is genuinely in Christ, if they are wrong for a time, God's going to lead them. And they're, they're going to come to a point where they are faced with you turn from that wrong understanding and you go to the right uh, understanding of Scripture or you reveal you're maybe not in Christ. You know, So I believe the Holy Spirit does that. And, and over time, we are sanctified and we are taught and we grow. But anybody who clings to the limelight because that's what they want and they want that attention and, and, and they won't back down when they're corrected, that's a dangerous place to be. And, and Rich, I agree with you. I think it, it's an addiction to the limelight. Once you get in that, and we've talked about it before, like with some of these online discernment ministries, and not every discernment ministry is a, is a horrible one because some ministries that are not per se discernment ministries teach discernment. But a lot of them, and I'll leave names of certain ones out because I don't want to start a fight, but there are some known ones that they, it's all they do is sling mud. And if you try to correct them, they come out swinging. So it's not just the Beth Moors. There's some people that are supposed to be on our kind of our side of the biblical side of the fence, Rich, and it's like they it's like a drug. I have to be seen. I have to be heard. And I don't care how outlandish my comments are. I don't care how outlandish uh, it, my claims are. I don't care what kind of controversy it stirs up, as long as I am seen as the person to be listened to. So absolutely, it's 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 a denial of the humility that we should have, with and, and understanding that the great care we should have with the Word of God, and it's all about Him and not about me, that I think causes so much of this insanity that we see from people who just more and more expose themselves to be false. Absolutely, brother, I I agree with everything you said. Um, I know that we're closing out now, but I want to take a moment to thank Alan Nelson for choosing me to, I don't know how he chose, but I was blessed to be picked to receive a copy of his new book, Before the Throne. I've not read much of it yet, but I've already fell in love with what I have read, and I cannot wait to finish this book 
today's Thursday. I'm hoping to have it finished by Saturday night. Ugh. You know, you know, just you're just not fair, dude. You know, every, he wins this book, and I bought mine, by the way. He wins this book, and the, what do you? What's the first thing you do? Challenge me to a read-off. I'm in the middle of another book. <laughs> I can't read multiple books. I get distracted too easily. So it's like this ain't fair. You can't do that well, to I me. I told you. I told you I was going to challenge you, but I admitted it would not be fair because first, at certain times, I can pull back out my old days and speed read but when i have a combination of that going on and the fact that i have nothing but time <laughs> with with my physical situation i literally have nothing but time most days so i i feel it in various ways i read quite a bit as long as my eyes will hold it out that's the reason i, I admitted it would not be fair because i can speed <laughs> read and have nothing but time you have a wife, two children, a job. All my kids are grown. You know, my <laughs> wife works, and I'm I'm home alone quite a bit. So you know, I have a, I have a, ad, believe it or not, I actually have an advantage over you in some way. <laughs> and the sad part about it is, I always have my books with me. But here's my problem: I cannot read when everybody's yammering away. Now I can't read at work very much because they actually expect me to do my job. Which, okay, not fair, guys. Okay, I, I know you want to pay. I you expect me to work for my paycheck, but come on, I I got a library here. I got to read, so that's that's problem number one. But the other problem is I am so easily distracted by sound that unless I am away from everything, it is very difficult for me to read. Now, when I was younger and I lived alone, I read voraciously, and I wish I had been a Christian back then because I probably have a like a mega theological IQ. Now I'm in my mid-40s, and I, as you said, I have a lot of distractions, so I'm much slower reader than I used to be. <laughs> but, you know, Alan but Nelson's you have stuff is great. Yes, I do, and God's gracious with those distractions. I will say this, though. Get Alan Nelson's book. I actually just got my copy the other day through snail mail, and boy, were they snail. Uh, you got yours in like two days. Mine took a week. Uh, well, Alan <laughs> mailed mine Monday, and I had it Wednesday morning. He mailed mine on a Monday, and I got it like the following Tuesday. You know, this, well, the I, post I office told, lived up to snail mail. <laughs> I, I, I have told you and told you and told you. When things are mailed, from the south going your direction <laughs> it takes forever for them to arrive and the same is true when something's mailed from the west coast back to the south it takes forever you have to remember alan is in arkansas so as, as a crow flies he's probably only about 400 miles from me <laughs> so uh, speaking of alan alan i don't i don't know if you thought we were joking but rich and i were actually serious we don't we want you on the show so now we got two people we're trying to court onto the show alan we want you on the show so we're gonna have to harass you too until you actually give in but alan is actually he gave me a copy of of his book um i'm trying to find it because i'm having a blank on the title alan yeah Death to Life. Death, from Death to Life, thank you. I'm looking at my stack of books, and I'm looking at every other name other than the book I'm looking for, and my brain went blank. So <laughs> <laughs> My brain stays blank. So, <laughs> so uh, I read that book. Fantastic book. Get that a copy of that. It is a great, uh, uh, great resource for understanding 
what salvation is, going from death to life. You really need to read that book. And his other book, Before the Throne, just came out. A bunch of us who pre-ordered it just got it. And I got a nice little signed copy. Thank you, Alan. Uh, so I'm looking forward to reading that. Mine was signed, too. <laughs> well, both... Oh, no, I almost activated my echo. Okay, good. It, 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 lighted, it started to light up. And I don't know what I said, but I didn't say the name. And it, every once in a while, the echo will start talking to me, even though I wasn't talking to it. It's kind of creepy. So NSA, leave me alone. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, really encourage you to get, really go get, go get both books. Alan is fantastic. Really, really, really well studied in his book. In fact, let me just explain to you from the book, Before the Throne, Reflections on God's Holiness. This is something we all need to be studying and understanding. And he at the back of the cover says, and by the way, um, our good friend Stephen Melnison, bald Calvinist on Twitter, designed the covers for Alan's books, as long, along with some others, including guys like Nate Pickowitz. So throw some business out here because you're getting guys like Stephen Melnison uh, some work here. But um, Speaking of which, Stephen has not replied to me about the cover for my graphic novel. You stop. <laughs> Hush. So, okay, what does the book say? Not... You, not you and your crazy ideas. Okay. R.C. Sproul, A.W. Tozer, and Stephen Charnock, now all with the Lord, are among faithful men who penned classic works on God's holiness. Others throughout history, like Martin Lloyd-Jones and Jonathan Edwards, preached powerfully on the glory and majesty of our great and holy God. And before the throne, Reflections on God's Holiness, Pastor Alan Nelson presents to us the timeless truths of the holiness of God from a 21st century perspective in an attempt to warn modern readers' hearts, warm, sorry, not warn, warm, modern readers' hearts toward the awesomeness of the triune God, standing on the shoulders of a long line of faithful men and fastened securely upon holy writ, Nelson helps us explore the immensity of God's holiness and how it affects absolutely everything everything about us this is i am looking forward to this and the neat thing about this book rich is that he set it up with study questions so i actually might do this as a study with my family this actually might well, be a really good book this would be a good a book for that's a great idea and um we have not had a guest on the show since the first year um i know we had tony miano greg el sasser and and nate yep excuse me pick a wit I cannot pick a I'm I'm going to apologize for tonight. I'm having <laughs> a horrible time with my tongue wanting to get twisted up. But Alan, if you're listening to this, know this that we interviewed Nate when his <laughs> very very first book came out and everyone sees how Nate's writing and publishing has gone so hint 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 <laughs> maybe maybe we're a good luck charm for writers. Yeah. Not so. that we believe in good luck or charms, but <laughs> but yeah, it, we, but we want you on the show. Now, I will confess, and I think I've said this before: the reason we've not had interviews is I'm a coward with the system we have set up. I've never tested it with a person to make sure it's going to record properly. So, Alan, Michelle, one of you is going to be a guinea pig. Okay, so you're probably going to have to call ahead of time have an extra 10, 15 minutes to spare before we actually record to make sure it works. So, but we want you on the show. We really would love to get you guys on here. So, all right, Chris, we, are, we are over Chris. time. We are over time. Yes. 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 I've just, I need to ask you. Oh no. All the years with me. And if we are blessed to have Alan on the show, 
Does that mean you will not need an interpreter? <laughs> I might be able to struggle through. Yeah, okay. What one thing that folks don't realize is I I've got family that was kind of in that southern region that there are there, there was a point in time when I kind of talked like this when I was a kid, okay? Cuz I lived where I lived I lived in Indiana. I know that doesn't sound like a southern state, but I lived so far south in Indiana that we were bordering Kentucky. We were redneck, okay? So I, I, I get that, that I understand that a little bit, okay? I, it, but, Rich, you will be our Rosetta Stone just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alan, we have interpretative, uh, interpretation capabilities. You can speak your Arkansas tongue, and, and, and we have the gift of interpretations through Rich. So, Well, I, I guess in this case I actually can speak tongue. <laughs> All right, all right. We are way over time, way over time. We got way off track in the end there. We were actually going to be close to being to an hour, and we're, we're, we're boring people, and they're driving off the roads trying to change the thing. So anyway, anyway, thank you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you for being patient with us, as always. Thank you for encouraging us and sharing the, uh, the show. Um, we are grateful. So we will talk to you guys next week. God bless you. We'll see you then. Good night.